0: For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. I'm so excited to have Christopher Carter, also known as Casey, on the Center in the City podcast today. Casey is my current coach, and so it'll be fun to talk to him about life and be the one getting to ask him the questions for once. A little bit about Casey is he is a spiritual teacher at the intersection of consciousness and business. He is the founder and creator of This Epic Life, which is a training organization for conscious leadership. Today on the podcast, we get to talk to Casey about his new book, Permission to Glow, A Spiritual Guide to Epic Leadership. We also get to talk about the framework that he uses within this book called the Four Permissions Framework, which is also what he uses in his coaching practice to work with Fortune 100 executive leaders in all sorts of big companies around the world. So settle into this episode where we talk about spirituality, about the permissions, about how to create a consistent meditation practice and so much more. Casey, welcome to the Center of the City podcast.
1: Oh, Wade Brill, it's so great to be with you today.
0: Before we go even into the first question, we are going to take out the essential oil, permission to chill. Yeah. Yeah, And just take a moment. This is one of Casey's Signature sense. And yeah. just rub a little bit on our wrist. Kind of breathe that in. Will you walk us through for the people who can't smell this deliciousness, like what this essential yeah. oil is made up of?
1: Yeah. Well, you should know, Wade Brill. I would imagine that you would probably sweat permission to chill oil. But uh <laughs> permission to chill oil. One of my uh good friends, Shauna Waitencamp, she's just an oil. I call her the wonder beast, but she's like a true oil master and she's an intuitive coach. And she, she custom blended these for our retreats. And so there's one for each of the four permissions, the permission to chill one. the reason I left you some there in uh, Seattle was that um, I just, it vibes so well with the work that you do in the world, but that one's more of like a sandalwood, uh, like it has like a woody kind of tone, a warm tone to it. And it is so incredibly soothing, but that's, that's one of my go-tos throughout the day when things are getting crazy. And then the other one I am completely obsessed with is the glow in the light oil, which is more floral, but um, but yeah, these, these things are kind of special. And if you really pay attention in your hands, after you apply them, there is an energy to them. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I I love that you love it.
0: I can just even smelling and then I can feel it in my lungs, just this expansion and just this, ah,
1: yeah, it's so good. It's such an experience. And, and Shauna is one of these people I just really credit with turning me on to that, like multi-sensory magic that is essential oils. And she's, she's, she sends me ones with crystals in them and all sorts of cool stuff, but yeah, they line my desk and I go home smelling, um, you know, kind of like her very hippie ish, <laughs> very good. <laughs>
0: Okay, as we dive into our conversation today, I would love to know what does being centered mean to you?
1: Yeah, I think I think centered, it's somewhere around what, what I call permission to chill, which is basically this defiant act of holding your ground in this crazy world that just wants to take us, drag us around by our hair. You know, so I think being centered—it's not like a some people have it and some people don't. I think it takes the work, moment to moment, to find that center, and just the willingness to practice. Um, and you know, the, the farther we get into pandemic times and all the craziness around us, that it, it becomes more and more essential and more and more important. So, yeah, I love I love the show and I love what you do around being centered in the city, especially for those city folk. They could they could kind of get moving at a fast clip. You know,
0: it's hard oh, to yes. slow down. Oh, yes, we can. I love that visual of the world's pulling us around by our hair (laughs) and that we have, you know, these practices inside of us. It's not like you're born with it or without it, but that we can all practice being centered or chill in your language. yeah. Tell us a little bit more, because I actually don't even know if I know the full story of how you got into the world of coaching and how you mix spirituality with conscious leadership.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. The origin story. We never, yeah. Why would we talk about this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's uh, you know, it's, it's like anything it's, it's a very a linear path and um, it's definitely coaching is definitely work that chose me and coaching and being a meditation teacher chose me. I didn't, I didn't go out with any type of strategy to become it. I, I had an interest in it, but I was one of those guys where, if if somebody sat next to me on a plane they would just people would just open up and tell me stuff a lot of deep things big fears big dreams and so i knew that there was something kind of drawing me towards that and i didn't know if it was my presence or my ability to ask questions whatever it was but people went deep with me and i worked for a startup company for about 9 years and um This company grew from like 40 people to 900 people in about eight years. So it was like this very rapid growth company. And I spoke to the new hire group every single month. And I started with, you know, 40 people. And then by the time I left every month, there was more than 40 people in the new hire class I was speaking to joining the company every month. And um, I really credit the founder of that company, Sean Riegsecker. He gave me these just a lot of great opportunities to launch the meditation program for the company. The first meditation program I launched, I would consider to be an absolute failure. Uh, However, I learned a lot in the process and I, I got to evangelize this thing that I'm really passionate about. You know, I discovered meditation as kind of an antidote to all this craziness I was experiencing as a salesperson and as a young dad, you know, just all this volatility of just the emotional roller coaster of, you know when you're, you're on top of the world, when you're selling a lot of things and when you're not, you feel like total crap. And I was just looking to kind of even out those peaks and valleys. So I discovered meditation and, um, yeah, somewhere along the line at in, in, in that company Centro and also in, uh, working with Jonathan Fields and the good life project, both Sean and Jonathan gave me these opportunities to coach people to, um, teach meditation, uh, lead guided meditations. And at first, like anything, I just did not know what the hell I was doing, you know, but it started to feel more familiar and more comfortable. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just evolved into, you know, then getting the training and finding the clients like we all do, you know, like finding the right people to work with that understand the medicine you're here to bring. And it's been a real gift, you know? And sometimes when I look back at it, I'm like, how did any of this happen with zero strategy? Um, but but it wasn't through any like you know lack of working my ass off, but it was it was yeah it's very um, auspicious how it all just kind of showed up over the last nine years.
0: Mm. And so, where did you get your inspiration for this new book that's getting to grace the world in just a few weeks?
1: Yeah, well, I, I probably left out the most key component to that whole journey is that discovering my guru, my teacher, Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, Autobiography of a Yogi. It's a spiritual classic. It came out in 1946. And it was one of these books that everybody told me I should read it for about eight years. And finally I was like, okay, I'll read it. And and I couldn't stop reading. I still read it. You know, it's it's one of the only books that I read over and over. (laughs) And um, it just really spoke to me at a deep level. And Yogananda's influence really encouraged me to quit alcohol maybe nine years ago, Um, encouraged me to take a plunge and, and join Jonathan Fields immersion program and train alongside him, which led to me working with him. And then, um, yeah, just so like all this good in my life was coming from, uh, it's, it's yoga based meditation. It's Kriya yoga mm. and yoga is a scientific practice and process, which was good for me, because I'm naturally wired as a skeptic, believe it or not, like, I'm just kind of like, prove it, you know, mm. and, uh, like, I knew meditation had a lot of benefits, and I had been practicing, but then when, when I got into the yogic-based meditation, it had just definite rigor and milestones and process to it, and I, I think I, I don't know if it's because I'm a Virgo, but I, I definitely vibed with that structure, and so that's probably the biggest nucleus for the, the book that I wrote. It's called Permission to Glow. It's these four permissions, and they're timeless, and they're, they're truly rooted in yogic science, so I know they work. And I, th- I think that if any of us teacher types are honest with ourselves, we are all in the business of rearticulating ancient truth on some Mm -hmm. level for like a modern context. Mm -hmm. And um, as I got more into coaching conscious leaders in businesses and helping them design team culture or coaching executives, I started realizing that a lot of my clients are very spiritually curious. It doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if they have the corporate job and, you know, you know, kind of in the same bucket of doing work that didn't really, like I didn't choose, it chose me. I never thought I'd be in a position to bring a spiritual conversation into business spheres, I was always taught and trained that like keep those two things divorced and separate. Like, like part of me actually gets a little bit annoyed. I don't know how you feel about this. I don't know if we've ever really talked about it, but you know, I, I get that corporate audiences want to keep it you know, the spiritual conversation to a minimum on some level, but I feel like there's like this very active process of stripping out any of like, to me, the really good benefits of meditation. Like we can't, almost like we can't talk about those, you know, mm-hmm. do you ever run, do you ever run into that or wonder why, you know, or, or have ever had
0: a client say like, let's not call it meditation. Let's
1: call it mindfulness or let's, let's call it presencing.
0: Oh, totally. Um, and, and having to choose, well, it's, let me even just back up of, for a while, I never considered myself to be spiritual. Yeah. I felt like that was even too woo woo of language for me. Yeah. And the deeper I got into my own meditation practice, the more I realized how meditation transformed from this like grounding technique for me inside of my own nervous system and emotional regulation and mindset regulation and building more equanimity. And then starting to allow my heart to become more open and receptive and softer. And, and then that kind of started to transition to feeling more connected to the universe and to yeah. trees and flowers and all living beings. And that was then at this point of like, oh, this has become a spiritual practice for me. And now I'd say that's a huge motivator in me continuing my journey with meditation, but yeah. it definitely didn't start there. So the word spiritual, yes, I can relate to being kind of like, whoa, that's that's not me. Where are we going? Um, and yes, my clients have have had that. And with corporate work, for sure. Some people, yeah. I've had to call it just mindfulness because meditation could, could feel, I would say, pre-pandemic. I feel like post-pandemic, yeah. everybody's like, give me something. I need to right. hold on to it. something. Yeah, I'm
1: ready. It, it it is like it's really weird like the and you you did your yoga teacher training right no Pilates. okay okay Pilates. Pilates. i can remember if background, you also did yoga.
0: but then i am a certified uh, meditation and mindfulness teacher
1: yeah cuz like what what a lot of my friends clients realize if they do the yoga teacher training is that yoga at its core it just means union union with spirit connection to something bigger than ourselves And that could be a big concept for people to grasp. And we all have our luggage from childhood of bad church experiences and stuff. And I certainly had that, like that was a real formative thing for me was I was scared shitless by a TV evangelist when I was a kid. Like I I was convinced I was going to hell. Mm -hmm. So I kind of gave up on that, But but it led me to find real teachers. I definitely felt like it led me eventually to Yogananda's work. But when you practice yoga over time, and, and meditation, any practice that's just quieting the mind, stilling the mind, bringing the focus back, space expands between your thoughts, and mm-hmm. you start questioning bigger, you start feeling some deeper sense of connection, not only to yourself, but to something, whatever that thing is, it doesn't care what we call it. But something, you know, we start carrying, we have more empathy for other people, we start... Um, seeing ourselves as one or, or connect this to to everyone. And, uh, that was definitely my experience. So, so now when I, when I take this book and these concepts into organizations, I am finding that it's only as weird as I make it, you know, Mm. I, I I expect it to be weird.
0: Tell me me more about that because I think there's a lot there to unpack even in a, you know, current pandemic world that we're navigating. I feel like people are a lot more open to spiritual concepts or more emotional based language or, you know, getting in touch with how they're feeling. It's way more, um, encouraged and, and, and celebrated.
1: Totally. And and what I love about it, we're a lot less tolerant of like the status update, corporate posturing bullshit speak that that a lot of those people like that, that when people talk and they sound like a spokesman for themselves, I can't stand it, you know, like I have to launch a missile at it to like get to know the person behind that thing. Um, But when I when I saw you in Seattle, I was passing back through after doing an event for EXP Realty up in uh, Blaine, Washington, like far north near the border of Canada. And it was one of these real inflection points in my career because I realized that a lot of the stuff I've been, you know, you know I've always known I was a little bit more woo-woo inclined and all that stuff. But now the, the corporate space has really opened up to it. And I was there to do an offsite executive retreat. And there was, you know, I had to walk into a room as I do sometimes for these workshops with very powerful executive leaders who are, you know that took a company public and they're extraordinarily wealthy and powerful and they're used to getting things their way. And I just found them so curious and hungry for those practices and how I usually introduce it into companies or or with executive coaching clients. And I talk about this a lot in the book is that when most people come to work with me, they're addressing what I call capacity issues, meaning they don't have enough time in their schedule. They don't have enough money or funding or something to get their dream to happen with the business or they can't hold all of this chaos that's coming at them. You know, I'm tired of my team. I'm tired of my spouse. I'm t- tired, tired of everybody. Everyone's in the hot seat. And I feel like that's a capacity issue. Like we can't hold what's being asked of us, you know, or we, we need to expand our container in some way to hold a better relationship to time, to make more spaciousness, to create more, you know, self-compassion. And to me, that's a spiritual conversation. And honestly, as I get more deeper into executive coaching, I'm realizing that leadership and entrepreneurship are actually spiritual conversations as well, because entrepreneurship is truly kind of a spiritual quest. It is preposterous to believe that we can do this ridiculous thing. That's never been done before. You know, Mm -hmm. there, Mm -hmm. was no class at college that said, here's how to be a meditation teacher and to provide for a family of five and to, you know, survive in the United States doing this thing or to make, you know, whatever you want to make a year doing that thing. So I, as I explore that with clients and and kind of tether it to a spiritual quest, a lot of new opportunities open up, like self-compassion becomes available, which radical concept, like why not love yourself besides like other, or rather than just beating ourselves up all the time for what we're not accomplishing. Mm -hmm. So it's that conversations evolved kind of Quickly over the past year and a half, in in all my client conversations, but you'd be surprised like how many conversations I'm having with high level leaders, and all they want to talk about is yoga and meditation, or, you know, how to, how to deepen their spiritual practice, and, you know, they they may have brought me in to do something tactical, business related, but it always goes back to that deeper meaning thing.
0: Mm. Yeah, because like one of your powerful lines in, you know, talking about the book it's it's time for leaders to move from panic to peace, to power. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that because I think the word peace can sometimes be a little woo y or like, yeah. let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya, kumbaya. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but talk to us about how peace in you know, that's sandwiched in between the panic and the power. So it's obviously an important stepping stone to get to the power, which is what we all kind of want automatically right off the gate. Right.
1: Well, this is, this is, it's funny this morning, when I was thinking about our conversation, I, I, I was hoping you'd ask about this and I kind of thought you would, because it's an important connection to make for your listeners, as well as in your work. And this is why I'm so excited about the work you do in the world, because peace truly is the missing link between panic and power um, we just want to flip a switch. Like we do in America with everything and Mm -hmm. go, you know, like people say, I, I love this analogy. Like people try to fall asleep in the United States, like they're parallel parking in reverse at 30 miles an hour that we just want to slam ourselves in a bed and go to sleep, you know, and similar with our achievement as leaders, we want to go from like this panic disaster mess to just being in the seat of power, you know, but the willingness to slow the hell down, and to really see what you're working with and to make peace at four levels. And so I talk about peace through the lens of each of the four permissions. So permission to chill is is to to train yourself, to be at peace with whatever rises up in the moment to test us, you know, that's in ancient Greece that was called sobriety. That's the virtue of seeing things as they are versus how we want them to be. So chill, I, I frame it as just being at peace with what rises up in the moment permission to feel all the feels. I consider that peace with what peace with what uh rises up in our heart to guide us because we 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 kind of tamp down that voice we we think our feelings and our our emotions are inconvenient Mm -hmm. we we use phrases like I shouldn't have been ugly crying well like what the hell is that like Mm -hmm. crying is a beautiful human act you know Mm -hmm. what I mean um, permission to glow in the dark, which is why most reason, oh, which is the reason why most people hire a coach is to fully express themselves in some way. I look at that as being at peace with what's being asked of us, you know, cause it's daunting to go out and be ourselves in this world, to, to throw the switch of power when people could judge us for being too much or too little. It's, mm-hmm. it's scary. And that's the darkness. And then finally the permission to glow in the light at peace with the entirety of our human family um, transcending competition for collaboration, not viewing people as resources or obstacles, but viewing them as allies. And how can I help you? Um, so this, this notion of peace, it's still on my wall right here. There there's the word peace in the center with each of the permission icons around it. Cause my coach coached me around what is the absolute purpose of this book? And all of us, Oh, so many of us want to write a book someday. And it's like, man, I've been dreaming about writing a book, and then when you sit down to do it. You're like, why? You know, what? Mm-hmm. Why does this book need to exist? And she, you know, Christine Sachs, she grilled the shit out of me on that. And it turned out if if I could give my clients or anybody on the path anything, it would be just a few moments of peace, mm. because everything opens from there. And then once I connected to that. I thought, okay, so the whole opening of the book is, is making a case for why it's peace that we crave.
0: Mm, I love that. And to me, when I hear you talk about peace, it really, for me, is this feeling of centeredness. It's like when we all can come to this centered, grounded state, how much more is accessible to us? Yeah. And like, what can we actually See and hear and feel and achieve from that place. Um, and I love the framework. I can't wait for the, the book to be out to dive deeper into all of these oh permissions. Gosh. And the fact that you label them permissions, I think is really important. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, well the, last, the last thing I'll say about peace is that I, I get really pissed off in corporate circles when people marginalize things as soft skills. Mm-hmm. If you knew what unbelievable strength it took and discipline to create peace in your life, you would have done it by now, mm-hmm. <laughs> for starters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when people say, oh, centered's a little whoa, whoa, it's like, well, what's stopping you from doing it? Because if it was a pill, everybody would take it. Totally. Right. So, you know, and you it's have to work. Confine-
0: it's, it's work to cultivate it. Right. And yeah. it's not in our society seen as a. Like, oh, wow, you accomplished something because you were peaceful today. People, yeah. don't, people don't pat you on the back for that.
1: They don't, they don't. But if you're lucky at your funeral, they'll say, wow, they were a very loving present husband or wife or neighbor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that comes from somewhere. That comes from that person doing the work of just slowing it down and not, you know, dragging everybody by the crazy train. So um, yeah, but the, uh, the permissions, the reason I called them permissions from the beginning I, I think I jokingly said maybe like six or seven years ago. I give myself and everyone around me permission to glow in the dark, and people mm-hmm. are like, "Oh, that sounds fun,"
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, and it, it, at the time, it kind of meant like, "Sorry, not sorry. I'm going to be who the hell I am, no matter what the circumstances." And it's something I try to plant the seeds with with my kids. And but I realized that nobody can give us give us these permissions other than ourselves, so they're ours. Alone to give, mm-hmm. it's not my job or the book's job to give these people these permissions. Although I do try to give people a visceral sense of what it feels like when you have one of these mm-hmm. activated. And um, so I started with permission to glow in the dark, and then I had developed that meditation program I mentioned that failed at the company, and it was represented by a pause button. It was called the pause, and I that evolved into permission to chill because I got so into making meditation practice a requirement for my client base most like just about everybody's a daily meditator you I don't know I like I don't ever have to worry about that conversation with you because you just you take your meds you know Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the the people that aren't taking their meds I'm like why aren't you
0: taking your meds and if I don't take my daily medication meds like all hell goes loose
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and I probably I'd I'd probably notice you would know yeah yeah so um I had the permission to chill. And then the final frontier for me was in in my own work with my coach is permission to feel all the feels. And this, maybe this is just a, you know, a privileged white guy thing, but we don't have access to our emotional toolbox uh, readily. Uh, It's not as as readily available to us. We don't have the language and the awareness. So a lot of my breakthroughs with my coaching training and coaching work, uh, and even with my clients has to do with my willingness to work on permission to feel the feels to access my full glorious messy humanity regardless Mm -hmm. of what it looks or sounds like um and then a friend of mine brought up you know like well what if permission to glow in the dark what if there just was no darkness what would absolute power look like and i had to really take myself to an interesting place last year when i was writing that last permission permission to glow in the light because it's to me it's such a high vibe that the world is not I don't want to say not ready for it because it happens, but like, is not, um, we're not walking that talk at the moment in this, you know, day and age. And I wanted to kind of explore what um, just unobstructed glowing could look like and feel like for humanity. And that was powerful, you know, and, it, and it's going to sound very Shangri-La and utopian for a lot of people. And that's totally cool. Mm-hmm. However, there are glimmers of it happening in the world and it's very exciting. And I, and I think if if our creator would want anything for us, she would probably want that, you know, Mm -hmm. to to get out of our own way. So so the fourth permission is the work of individuals who have done the the earlier work of those early three permissions and are willing to stand shoulder to shoulder with anybody and not feel triggered or comparing or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So so yeah, that's how it evolved. So it's been a journey over the last six years and the book is really the first big flag in the ground for this is how I think life works.
0: Yeah, I love the emphasis. Oh, I want to circle back to the permission piece before jumping to the light piece, because I think there's a lot of juiciness in both. When we give ourselves permission, and I have this intertwined into centered in the city too, like permission slips. There is this ability for us to kind of cut out the mental conversation of, should I not? Should I, do I have the time to do this? Like, am I worthy? And it just is like, give yourself the fucking permission to do blank. You know, it's just cut yourself some slack. And I think there's so much power in that as an individual to give yourself permission. But then I love how you frame them in these four permissions as we're collectively all giving ourselves permission to chill we're all collectively giving ourselves permission to feel we're all collectively and how cool of a movement that is to visualize this all happening in the universe and can we all like as -hmm. individuals and as a collective really kind of embody this culture shift
1: yeah i mean and to me that's what keeps me going you know just to want to see how this show all turns out you know mm-hmm. and hopefully we can trans- transcend a lot of our you know just petty divisiveness and and insanity um but the um the permissions too they're sequential you know so there's they're like ascending gates of claiming your power and and if you're not willing to chill uh, you know good luck with that you know
0: mm-hmm. um
1: because I think we're all here to discover some very unique contribution that we're here to make. And I don't see us getting there without being silent with ourselves and listening to that inner voice, whatever that may be. And and what's what's really been amazing with the with the feeling permission, permission to feel all the feels. I jokingly called it that. And I, I gave it the unicorn symbol because the unicorn has this dope horn that comes at, you know, 45 degree angle. And it's similar in yoga to the Kutasta Chaitanya that comes from the center of the forehead. And that's where we, that's our portal to divinity. That's where we focus all of our attention. We could hear what God or some benevolent force is speaking to us. And I feel, you know, I'm playing some catch up on all my intuitive lady friends because women have, I've been married for 22 years. My wife has a definite connection to her intuition that I had never developed prior, but the more willing I am to meditate and to, to listen to the data that my feelings are giving me, it gives me access to intuition and it's not just a hunch anymore it's just either a, a directed path where i should go or you know uh, certainly a lot of my coaching insight comes from that place you know and and you always feel like you're out in the unknown in a risky place when you're voicing your inner voice to others mm-hmm. however i'm always shocked at how often that's accurate based on just the willingness to feel you know, with somebody else and to express what's coming up for you. It's, it's extraordinarily powerful, but just imagine what would happen in communities and in families. And at the Thanksgiving dinner table, if if we could relate that way,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just amazing. So if we're as a collective and as individuals, not, I don't want to say needing, but we get to start from this permission to chill place. What are some strategies or tips you would offer people as ways to connect as permission to chill, even if they don't have their essential oil permission to chill to help them? Yeah,
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, just the moment to moment awareness, anything you can use to get your own attention. You know, I know you're you're a big fan of box breathing and I, I love four, seven, eight breathing for this reason. In for four through the nose, in for a count of four, hold for seven exhale through the mouth for a count of eight, very slowly four cycles of that is 57 seconds. And it's enforcing a breathing pattern onto the involuntary nervous system that just wants to run amok and stay crazy. I call the op, each of these permissions have a shadow side. So the opposite of permission to chill, I call it speedy rabbit. Um, I don't run into this ever talking to you, you know, but a lot of people I work with are so overcaffeinated and so moving so quickly. But, but when they're willing to practice just like a little reboot a few times a day of four cycles of four, seven, eight breathing, it's a powerful reminder that they have that awareness, you know, they make better decisions. You know, I I talk about the serenity prayer in the book that meditation, I believe is to build the muscle of our discernment that. Our meta attention keeps us in line with things like our values or our goals, like all these things we say we want, you know, Mm -hmm. want to live by. But when life speeds us up, we just stray from those. We say we didn't want it anyway or whatever. We move on. But just anything that people are willing to do to strengthen that discernment, um, you know, certainly drinking less and eating less sugar, all those things totally help, you know, not required, but definitely help slow us down. Uh, versus being on so many stimulants or depressants. Um, and I'm a big fan of the daily meditation practice on some level. I, r- I really want to get everybody I know to 15 minutes a day non-negotiable um, because when you're, when you're willing to make that investment, it's a compounding return that comes back in a huge way. So 15 minutes a day, that means every 96 days, that's 24 hours you've dedicated of your life, three point something days a year to building your, you know, taking your meta attention to the gym. And that just makes for, in my experience, happier families, happier businesses, uh, more fulfillment and meaning, certainly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love the term speedy rabbit. I call it hurry sickness. And I definitely, maybe you've never seen that side of me in our coaching sessions, but huh. I definitely have that part in me. I think we all do. And especially just so Culture condition to just be on fast yeah. forward, and as you said earlier, like we want things now, we want to flip the switch. Yeah. And so well, just you're New, that.
1: And you're a New Yorker by blood, you know. I get it. You know, it's 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 bred into us on some level as part of our DNA, and and it's and it's it's to be celebrated too in a way. Like it's just like survival mechanism. It's there to protect us, and it's not always bad but we realize we can't create the quality work we want if we're just anxious all the time. I mean, I had to work on my anxiety. I woke up today with a ton of anxiety. So I had to like do my thing, get my head on straight, meditate for a while, go down to the trails, run four miles, come back, really just ease into things. Because I knew that, you know, in yoga, we, we, we learn that you don't want to just take action for action's sake. You want to take right action. So it's worth just chilling for a day or two, even relaxing, and then doing the one or two things that'll get you straight to the thing versus all this. Like, I, I, I feel important and valuable because I'm moving so fast. You Mm -hmm. know, that's, that's what I think is a problem in our culture.
0: Mm. What would you, what would you say to people who are Struggling to make meditation or chilling out a uh, consistent practice in their life. Because I notice as a teacher, that's something I constantly am hearing. Yeah. And that then gets into the psyche of perfectionists or a lot of people who are oh, s- for sure. speedy rabbits yeah. to want to feel like they're not doing it right. And so then they just give up.
1: Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, at the end of the book, I I dedicate the last section to the seven laws of compassionate change. And it was really built around helping people create, I I had a lot of success helping people create the meditation habit. And I was trying to engage their egos in the process, even though we're totally supposed to move past the ego, man, and meditation. If you if you're in a room full of leaders and you say, okay, who's, who's willing to take a 30-day meditation challenge and never miss a day? People will, I'll do it. And if somebody else does it, like they get all pumped up. And But you're right. They will quit early on if they miss a day like, oh, screw it, or I suck at this, whatever. So I jokingly make up this fifth permission at the very end of the book. It's called Permission to Suck. And what that means is create a game you will win. What is the minimal amount of consistency you can commit to? Is it one minute? Is it three minutes? But do it every single day. And that becomes, that consistency becomes like a drop of water that'll go through granite. And so all you care about in the beginning is just consistency. Mm -hmm. And it's going to suck. It's going. You're going to be overthinking. It's going to feel like all the monkeys are going to crawl in through the windows. But it's like that for everybody. It's even Mm -hmm. like that for meditation teachers it's mm-hmm. like that I haven't met a monk or a nun who's dedicated their lives to meditation who doesn't still have meditations like that because that's being human however when you let that consistency do its job it's like this blooming vine that starts propagating and then you start getting to five minutes and 10 minutes and you start craving it you get to 15 minutes you linger on offer yourself loving and kindness and gratitude for people around you it, it it starts creating these little uh, returns on your investment, but also these little rewards. So like, I, I just tell people to start small with the minimal consistency, but then also give themselves some sort of reward. So like this is why I like insight timer actually, because just even that it posts in place and saying like, Hey, so-and-so is meditating for 15 minutes. It just gives you that, you know, little gold star that I did my work for the day.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: But it's, but it's hard and it's no different than a writing habit or a running practice or anything else. Like starting new with anything sucks. And we want to, we want to give ourselves every reason to fail and to quit.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do want to give ourselves an easy out, but it's like when we are consistent, when we show up for ourselves, I see that as a form of us practicing just deep self love and honoring.
1: Oh, you know. it's totally. In, in
0: keeping us in
1: integrity. Like th- that's why I spend a lot of time getting people to like, Hey, what's your commitment? Because then once they tell me their commitment, I could just hold them to their commitment. Not all the noise and crap that always comes in, up about why they will, or they won't. Um, I'm super grateful to my coach. I dreamed of writing a book for about 20 years and she got it out of me in about six months just by saying, what's your commitment. And they, the book only gets written when your ass is in the seat and your fingers are on the keys. And it's just like meditation, you know, it all kind of you know, got pounded into me over so many sessions with, with students over the years that it it, it is hard, but people like me who are, have uncomfortable levels of energy, it is, I I assure you, it is no easier for me to sit still to meditate than anybody else on the planet, you know, Mm -hmm. But, but it is a practice that I start, I crave you know, so at Christmas time, our, our uh, lineage does an eight hour Christmas meditation and the weeks leading up to it. I'm always like kind of nervous. I'm like, Oh, how's it going to go this year? Is it going to be brutal? And it always starts out brutal, but by the end through the practices and the chanting, you just get drunk with it. You just love it and mm-hmm. becomes the biggest gift you can give yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I was thinking about it this morning in my meditation practice of, you know, how food we talk about, you are what you eat. It was like, we are what we practice. Like what we practice becomes part of our muscles and our muscle memory and so it's like what are we practicing what are we practicing again and again and again
1: it's it's a great point i mean it's something i keep an eye on when i'm you know coming up to this book launch different stressors and different things like self care comes and goes like all the things we do when we're getting ready for a very public big launch you know there's a lot of press unprecedented things happening So certain things slide, but I could always tell if I'm swearing a little bit too much, or if I'm, if I get like, if I question others and get gossipy on some level, Mm. like just noticing that tendency, it's exactly what you said. It's like, what are you practicing? Because I want to just practice unity and love and acceptance of self acceptance of others. I mean, it's more of what I'm in it for these days, but yeah, that's, it's important to watch what you're practicing.
0: Mm. Casey, we could keep talking about spirituality and meditation and the permissions for hours, I'm sure. Maybe we'll have to have you back on the podcast. For sure. Where can people learn more about you and learn more about your upcoming book, Permission to Glow?
1: Well, Permission to Glow has a new site coming in the next couple of days with a book trailer. I'm super excited to share that. It's at Permission Ooh. to Glow. Yeah, I think you'll dig it. We shot it at this beautiful meditation sanctuary. It is so, so beautiful. But it's permissiontoglowbook.com. And um, all my coaching work and everything else is at this epiclife.com. But uh, yeah, the book starts for pre-order like September 7th, which is already next week. And then it's published on the f- October 5th. It's crazy. It's actually here.
0: That's so exciting. So for those listening, go check out the book, write a review on Amazon, help get the word out. Thank you so much for, for being here, Casey, and for sharing, you know, a little bit more about getting a chance to learn a little bit more about your backstory and where these, where your work really stems from.
1: Yeah, no, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I I knew you would ask, I mean, coaches, I love doing podcasts with coaches and meditation teachers because they just ask the best questions.
0: (laughs) It's true. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. Share with us on Instagram what you are learning about yourself, what you loved about this episode, what's inspiring you, what you're curious or hungry to learn more or explore more with join the conversation with Casey and I on instagram at one wade and at permission to glow book also if you love this podcast please rate it and share it sharing is caring and your words and you taking the time to rate this podcast mean so much to me until next time stay centered